1: what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of candlestick chronicles the very first training camp edition of this podcast my name is chris biederman i cover the 49ers for the sacramento be with me as always it's my guy kyle madsen of niners wire of the usa today sports media group Kyle, how's it going man it's
2: good do you know what i did today
1: did you try to beat the heat boy did i <laughs> what'd you do
2: I hung out um, actually at my folks house. I had to run some errands down in my hometown of Brentwood down in the East Bay. So headed out there with my girlfriend. We ran some errands and uh, stayed inside as much as humanly possible.
1: Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, I'm sure it's been (laughs) hot over there. We actually had a cooler day today down in Santa Clara. Uh, Luckily for us, Kyle Shanahan prefers the morning practice, which is just better all the way around because we get good weather in the morning. It doesn't get hot until the afternoon down in the South Bay. But enough about the weather. I mean, it's training camp. We've had three training camp practices to talk about, to break down. A lot's happened, but at the same time, not a whole lot has happened because you you want to watch a training camp practice and think everything you see just sort of defines what the 49ers are and, and what they're going to play like. And that's not necessarily the case. And I think that's worth pointing out a little bit more this year than years past because the 49ers have an entirely new training staff. And so uh, one big aspect of that is Ben Peterson, the, the new head of, of player performance, and, and he basically runs the whole show in terms of the medical side and the strength and conditioning side. And so what he's done to create harmony among, among those two uh, arms, I guess, of the organization or the, or the football operation is to oversee them together. And then his staff has created individual schedules for every single player on the team. So the 49ers have obviously been devastated by injuries these last couple of years. And so what they're doing is really taking a progressive approach and a very conservative approach in terms of limiting guys reps and and taking things slowly in order to ramp up for the regular season to avoid losing any guys to injury. So I think that's an important thing to note at as the backdrop for this training camp, because we haven't seen a ton of reps from from a ton of veterans. Um, we, we have seen. Jimmy Garoppolo get a lot of reps, and, and I think that's sort of just indicative of the position he's played. But I think Garoppolo's look sharp. You know, his completion percentages throughout team drills haven't been great. I think he did 8 of 14 today and something like 5 of 12 uh, Sunday. He was really sharp Saturday in the first practice, and, and the only time we, the pads have been on uh, has been Monday. So we have one sample size of, of padded practice so far, and I want to say Garoppolo probably took, I don't know, probably 20 reps, 22 reps, something like that. Uh, obviously there, there's, there's a lot of running plays in there too. And and it's hard to really glean a whole lot from running plays during training camp because there there isn't tackling, but I I think, you know, my, my main takeaway from Garoppolo is that he looks sharp. Uh, he, he doesn't, he, he said he doesn't feel, uh, he's not thinking about the knee at all. He certainly doesn't seem skittish in the pocket. It it would be really problematic if he was skittish in the pocket because he's not going to get hit by anybody, but there is a lot of traffic around him, which is obviously the biggest change. Uh, from the last time we saw Garoppolo on the practice field during OTAs in June, so I think Garoppolo looks pretty sharp. Obviously, the offense as a whole is is not going to be running at full speed early on in training camp. They've they've had just three practices, reps are very limited, but I do think the receivers ha- have been intriguing. Debo Samuel's made some plays. Uh, Dante Pettis has made some plays. Pettis also had a kind of a bad drop today on a deep. Uh, over the shoulder catch. It was a little bit tougher, but probably a catch. If, if you were to ask him, he would tell you he should have made it. But overall, I mean, considering what we've seen from the 49ers in the past early on in training camp, and and I understand some of these teams, you know, the 2016 version, for example, or even, you know, 2015, those training camps weren't particularly impressive. And, and I do think you just take a wide range look at this 49ers roster I think there are a lot more pieces there than we've seen in recent seasons. So
2: It feels like this year in camp, A, no news has kind of been good news, it feels like. I mean, the players are going to have their ups and downs. I know people on site were tweeting about how good Trent Taylor has looked and how good Akella Witherspoon has looked. And individually, some players have looked really good, and that's going to happen. There are going to be drops. There are going to be bad throws. But I think for the Niners this year, the the best possible training camp was one where through the first few days there's just not really any news. There's some the normal ups and downs, but nothing major is happening at camp, which I think is a win for San Francisco at this point.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And and the the fact that we haven't mentioned the guys on PUP they only have four guys on PUP and they're all expected to be ready either soon or, or for week one with the exception of Garrett Selleck, who's probably gonna start the season on active PUP, which means he'll miss at least the first five games of the season in the first six weeks. The Niners have their bye, uh, I want to say, it was week four, week five, some, somewhere around there. So Selleck will only miss five games instead of six. But you have Weston Richburg, who's going to get ramped up for week one. Jarek McKinnon could be back as soon as any point uh, this week. It sounds like Thursday or Friday might be realistic, and then maybe he gets into a practice next week. I think the thing Kyle Shanahan said today about McKinnon was that you know, once he comes off PUP, he's probably not going to get inserted into team drills. They're going to work him in slowly because when you're on PUP, you can't even participate in walkthroughs.
2: Right. So
1: to get a guy back off PUP, then he could participate in walkthroughs. So he can start doing individual stuff and he can ramp up. I would imagine we won't see a whole lot of Jarek McKinnon in the preseason, to be sure. It sounds like Kyle Shanahan wants to play Jimmy Garoppolo at some point during the preseason. I would circle that Kansas City game, the third week of the preseason. Maybe he gets mm-hmm the start in Denver in the second preseason game. He's already ruled out Garoppolo for the Dallas game in the preseason opener. I want to say that's coming up in, what, 12 days? Something like that, as as we're... Yeah, close. August 10th, yeah. So,
2: Man, overall, that's I
1: I think it's it's been an encouraging camp. I think, like I said, the receivers have played well. Uh, I think the cornerbacks have played well. It's hard to really glean a whole lot from the safeties at this point. We did see Adrian Colbert get burned by Richie James for a long touchdown pass today. Jimmy Garoppolo's first throw came on play action today, and he hit Richie James deep for a 60-yard pass, deep down towards the left corner in the end zone, and and he got by Colbert there. And it was a a scenario where Shanahan said afterwards that it was just kind of the perfect storm. It was the right play call against the right coverage. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how much we should blame Colbert for getting beat on that play, given the fact that Shanahan... Liked the coverage that he got on the play, which, you know, led to the touchdown. So maybe it was something where a better call might have helped Colbert be in better position. But it was a great throw. And, and I, I wanted to point that out. Not only was it because it was a good throw and it was a big, long, explosive play. But I think if there's one part of Jimmy Garoppolo's game that we haven't really seen be up to par, or I guess where the where fans or, or the coaches or whoever would like it to be is, is J- Jimmy Garoppolo's deep passing. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's something that he's going to work on a lot uh, with Marquise Goodwin being in sort of a specialty role as maybe a number three or four wide receiver this year. I think you're probably going to see more shot plays with him, and the Niners are going to need those to hit if the offense is going to be balanced and and sort of be able to to burn you at every level of the field. So I think that's encouraging that you know the fact that Garoppolo was able to hit that pass to James, who's I mean, you you look at this receiver group and we've we've said it coming in that there's not a ton of uh, of history or these guys don't have uh, track records necessarily, but this is a talented receiving group. Mm -hmm. And even somebody like Jordan Matthews, who I didn't think would bring very much, has been really solid. Trent Taylor's looked really good. He looks a lot like the 2017 version of himself, who was super crucial, particularly, you know, in third downs and things like that for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Marquise Goodwin, like I mentioned, has been a tough cover. Uh, Debo Samuel is is acclimating pretty quickly. Jalen Hurd hasn't done a whole lot in terms of the passing game, but he's certainly uh, made some headlines, and we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But Kyle, just what, what do you think about what you've read about the receiving core and, and what that could mean for the 49ers in 2019?
2: I think that they're trending in the right direction. It's more a chorus of, wow, this player looks good, this player looks good, versus we're not sure which players are going to play this year. Like, like In the past, it's kind of felt like that, where the receiving core was clearly going to be an issue, and the hope was that one or two players would step up, whereas this year it feels like, man, the, there are going to be some tough decisions to make. And there's only been three days of camp. I mean, there's there's a month worth of preseason games to go and a month worth of practices that could change all that, but the early returns on the receiving core seemed to be positive. I wanted to touch real quick on that deep ball from Garoppolo to Richie James, something Kyle Shanahan said really jumped out at me in that Garoppolo made the right read, made the right throw and got the ball out on time. And that was such a big issue for him and his three games last year that if that continues to be a trend, I think that's really good news for the 49ers and showed that last year wasn't necessarily a lost season for him, but the receivers specifically, like I said, it, it, looked like on paper they were trending up and through the first 3 practices there's no reason to believe that that that's not the case.
1: Yeah, here's here's my sort of take overall on the wide receiver group. They have 11 receivers right now. I think 8 of them are going to end up playing in the NFL. And obviously only, you know, probably 5 or 6 are going to end up on the on the Niners roster depending on, you know, how final cuts go, but even somebody at the bottom of the depth chart like Richie James You know, Jalen Hurd's going to make the team, but, you know, Richie James is probably going to end up on an NFL roster if he doesn't make the 49ers. And you think about teams who utilize players like that, really good route runners in the slot, tough guys, you think, you know, like the New England Patriots, for an example. Like, I think Richie James is going to play in the league. Kendrick Bourne, I'm not sure if he's going to make the team, but I think he's proven that he can play in the league. And I think another team needing wide receivers, maybe like the New York Giants, for example, would love to pick somebody like him up off the scrap heap during final cut. So it's always a good sign. And and this was definitely a, a characteristic of the Niners when they were good under Jim Harbaugh, those that 2011 through 2013 team, they were cutting a lot of players who wound up playing on NFL teams elsewhere. Um, yeah. So that could be a really good sign for them. Just the fact that these receivers are playing really well. They seem well acclimated to Kyle Shanahan's offense. They're, they're off to a good start. Um, and and I think that's that's certainly positive, given the fact that the Niners are going to need these guys to be good if they're going to contend for a playoff spot. And despite these guys really not having much of a track record, you look at it, it's like Jordan Matthews might be, you know, the fourth or fifth or sixth guy, how, however it shakes out. And he's really the only one with any sort of prolonged track record. And it's not even that great of a track record. You know, at, at least these last couple years with Pierre Garçon, you could say, well, they have a guy who's had, you know thousand yard seasons or a bunch of years close to it he knows the offense all that they don't really have that this year they have some guys like taylor and goodwin who and born who are in the their third year in the system and, the, and they know it but they don't have a track record that you could say you know this guy's had a thousand yard season in the past we know he can do it over a 16 game schedule they just don't have that guy but they do have talent dante pettis is super talented you you already see flashes from samuel taylor looks like he's coming back so I do want to touch on Jalen Hurd a little bit because he he's become quite an interesting figure on this. Yeah, really team quickly <laughs> already. Go ahead.
2: Go you you go ahead. I want to I want to tell you my my experience of reading about the the Jalen Hurd incidents. But, uh, but explain first.
1: Okay, so Jalen Hurd. Uh, I didn't see exactly how how everything happened, and and when you're on the sidelines at training camp, just as a disclaimer. Everybody, you know, like on Twitter, they want like the the play by play and all the details and stuff. And we can do that when we're covering games because we obviously get replays from a billion different angles and slow motion and everything. There's no video board. There's no replay. There's none of that on training camp and you're on the sidelines. So if you have a bad angle, you're really just SOL. So with a couple of these skirmishes from from Jalen Hurd, all you really see happen is just a bunch of bodies converge on on two players and then. They're all tussling, and then eventually they break up, and then you're asking everybody around you, who was it, who was it, was it? So anyway, I Jalen Hurd got into it with Dante Johnson. That was pretty clear. It was on a running play. He was blocking very aggressively. I guess Dante Johnson took issue with it, and they started you know, squabbling or whatever. Uh, the next one, I didn't get to see who the defender was, so I don't want to speculate on, on exactly who it was, but it sounded like Hurd was blocking aggressively again, the defensive player took issue with it starting punching Hurd and then Hurd punched back. And that's what Kyle Shanahan was upset with. So Shanahan said initially that he brought Jalen Hurd in because he loved his feistiness and he wants Jalen Hurd to piss other opposing defensive players off. And he's a big guy. He's basically, you know, he's 230 pounds, almost 6'5". Like he is a big dude and he is not afraid to scrap with some of these guys. So he's really sort of (laughs) making his hay as a blocker to this point. He hasn't done a whole lot in the passing game. And I, and I think that's to be expected after just playing receiver for a couple seasons at Baylor after starting out as a running back. But Shanahan wants him to be aggressive, to be feisty and Hurd is doing just that. And Shanahan doesn't have a problem with Hurd being an aggressive blocker to the point where defenders want to fight him. What Shanahan did say that he was, that he didn't like about what Hurd did is in the second instance, Heard punched back after he got mm-hmm. punched first. And so he pointed out, like, if this were a game, uh, instead of the defensive player getting kicked out and us getting 15 yards, now it's offsetting right. penalties and we lose Herd and they lose their guys. So it's it's really a zero-sum game, right? So Yeah, something, something he has
2: to learn for sure.
1: Yeah, so uh, what Shanahan wants, I guess from anybody on offense really or anybody on the team is to... Is to rile up the competitor to the point where they might do something stupid, but obviously you don't want your guy yeah, to do something right. stupid. So, I mean, you're wearing pads, you're pretty well protected. You're wearing you're wearing helmets, obviously. Like if you get into a fight, just let the dude swing and let him get kicked out of the game, and and right. you just enjoy the the 15 yard penalty. What's, it, what's, your, uh, what, what's what's your what's what's your viewpoint on this herd thing as you're reading it from afar? So I was at the A's
2: game on Sunday. And I sat down and I can write from my phone and and I see the alert come across that, oh, Jalen Hurd got in, a, got in a scuffle. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, uh, I'm not I'm not going to write it like it's one scuffle. I don't want to way overblow something. And as I'm making the decision to not write something, another alert <laughs> comes across that Jalen Hurd got in another scuffle. So then I spent five minutes trying to figure out if it was a second one or if I if. I was reading about the same one twice, and then I finally decided uh, to write about it. But to to Shanahan's point and, and to what you were saying, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially if they want to eventually move Jalen Hurd to tight end or be able to play him in that spot. If he's going to be blocking that aggressively to the point that defenders are getting pissed off at him, that's a, a, ostensibly a good thing, right? Like that's yeah. that's what you want from this guy. But like you said, the the swinging back, that's that's not something, A, that's going to go well in a game, but B, that's not a great way to endear yourself to, to teammates. And I think we saw a little bit of that with some trash talk with him and Akella Witherspoon today when Witherspoon wrestled that ball away from him for an interception and then kind of threw the ball back at him. Like, <laughs> uh, here, take it, Rook. Uh, it was one of those welcome to the NFL moments that uh, I think might have been sparked by by Hurd's first day.
1: Yeah, I don't think Hurd has uh, made many friends in the 49ers secondary to this point, but he doesn't really have to. I think right. one thing I'm very interested to see is what happens when the 49ers have joint practices with the Broncos, um, because the Niners in the past have fought a lot with the Broncos. I want to say it was two years ago when the Broncos came to Santa Clara and there was one practice that was literally just like two separate fights happening when the Broncos offense was going against the Niners defense and then yeah. the Niners offense is going against the Broncos defense. They're like both fighting at the same time. Um, <laughs> and it was, uh, it's just funny, like ha- just how, a that, melee. how that goes. So I, I would say, you know, there are times when um, NFL reporters will do silly things like uh, have have fight pools and they'll pick players that they think will get into fights during, uh, during practice. And I think Jalen Hurd has, va- has vaulted himself as, as the favorite 49er to get into a fight when, when the <laughs> Niners and Broncos have their joint joint sessions. Uh, I want to say August 16th and 17th uh, before that Monday night preseason game in Denver. So moving on, I think we, we should talk about the defensive line uh, because Here's the other thing with training camp. You don't really have a great idea from the sideline exactly if a play is a sack, if a if a defensive lineman is just getting a pressure or if it's like a completion. Because like we said, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have to worry about taking any hits, right? So there, there are times when a defensive lineman will beat his blocker and then sort of slow up because he's obviously not going to hit the quarterback or move around the quarterback. And right. the quarterback will still make a throw and maybe complete it downfield. And you're looking around to, you know, people around you say, do you, do you think that was a sack or do you think that was a completion? And then, so that's when you read, uh, you know, when, when we're writing our, our practice recaps, we say maybe a would be sack for DeForest Buckner or whatever. Uh, we're not a hundred percent sure. And like I said, we don't get any replays or slow motion angles or anything like that. So we just sort of have to guess, but the defensive line looks really good. Like I, I do w- all the talk we've, we've had about the pressure that the defensive line is facing this year to be good because they've mm-hmm. invested so many premium resources in it. I think it's, it's, I mean, it's easily the most complete it's been since uh, in these last few years. I mean, even, even as, you know, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner, you know, last year, those are three first round picks along your defensive line. You think they'd be loaded, but obviously the 49ers weren't necessarily. With this group, with the addition of Nick Bosa and D. Ford as as real pass rushing defensive ends, with Buckner and Armstead and Thomas sort of mixing in, I mean, you're talking about a a complete defensive line now. And I, I think it has the makings to be really, really good if everybody realizes their potential. And and we don't know if they will. We don't know if Solomon Thomas ever will. We don't know if Eric Armstead ever will. We know D Ford is coming off a really great season. We don't know if he can string together back to back great seasons because he hasn't done that yet. Um, and obviously, Nick Bosa is a rookie who has a really high ceiling, but we haven't seen him play a single snap in the NFL yet. But just watching them practice and the way they collapse the pocket and the way they've Basically dominated the 49ers offensive line in the running game. The running game hasn't really been able to do much, which might be the biggest negative, I would say, from training camp so far. Just as a side, like the running game hasn't really gotten going. There's been one or two plays sort of pop every practice, but uh, the new wide nine system by by defensive line coach Chris Kasurik has really made it easy for the defensive ends to set the edge and funnel everything back inside. And I think the linebackers, particularly Dre Greenlaw, and maybe he's just playing a lot harder than everybody because he's a rookie, but like he's really flashing. But anyway, we can talk about that a little bit later. The defensive line looks really good. And I think the- It has to. It has to. But the most important thing as far as the defensive line is concerned early on Is that Nick Bosa's back? He looks healthy. Saturday, he had three really impressive reps against Joe Staley. And I asked Staley as he was coming off the field what he thought of Bosa. And he was like, like, Staley is not a bullshitter. Like he will he he shoots straight and like he's not the type who's just gonna lie to, to a writer. He he'll just tell you that, you know, he he's gonna be honest or tell you that he's not gonna tell you something or whatever. But he was he was like, he's going to be really good. He's really difficult to block. And Bosa got him three different times. And And the two have become close. Like it's it's sort of similar to the, the friendship that Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley formed last year after the Niners drafted McGlinchey. And obviously it's different positions, but Staley has had nothing but really, really positive things to say about Bosa. And the two today were were working with each other. Staley wasn't practicing, but between drills, um, they were working on uh, I was actually talking to Ian Williams, who's now with NBC Sports Bay Area, and obviously former 49ers nose tackle. I was like, what are they talking about? What are what are they working on? And they were leaning on each other and sort of shuffling side to side as if as if they were block as if Staley were blocking for a running play, and then Bosa has to sort of pick a side and try to gain leverage on that side to defeat the block, to get to the ball carrier, right. Or at least set the edge or, or plug the gap, whatever his responsibility is on that particular play. And he was, Ian Williams was just telling me it's an important thing because you're just getting a feel, right? Like it's early on in training camp. You're, you, are you you want to get the feeling of what it's like to be locked in against somebody, particularly for Bosa, who's been out, with a hamstring injury for so long. So I thought that was really interesting. Just the fact that Staley and Bosa were spending so much time working on something so specific together. Uh you a veteran and a rookie. Because Staley is Staley's the the kind of guy who like respect is earned with him. Like you're not mm-hmm. it's he he's not just gonna like do it because he's like a gung ho team guy. Not that he isn't right. a team guy, but it's like Staley's going to have to respect you to invest his time and energy into trying to make you better. And I think that's one of the reasons why he likes McGlinchey, too. But the the fact that Staley was doing that, I thought was really interesting. But on the other hand, too, and and going back to Saturday when Bosa beat him those times, Staley said Sunday... He was like, "Yeah, I was pretty rusty,
0: <laughs> and, nah. and,
1: and my my feet weren't firing. At, you know, my kick wasn't as good as it typically is. My hands weren't, you know, as fast as they normally are. It's still, you know, it's as good as Joe Staley is. It's still early in camp for just about everybody. Um, right. So, so that was funny too. And and we don't want to read too much into what Bosa did Saturday, but the fact that Bosa did what he did in his first ever NFL practice, I, I mean, to me, sort of, I mean, it's off. It's awfully promising because. I think you when when you get a rookie in training camp, not like I'm some like super veteran reporter. This is my seventh training camp, but like you can tell sort of right away if a rookie feels comfortable or if he belongs, and and how he by how he does against veterans and if he's like completely over his skis or if he's handling himself well. And I think Bosa is certainly in the camp where where he's handling himself well or early on.
2: Yeah, that's and I wrote a little bit about that, how you don't want to overreact to early training camp videos, especially like one on one drills. You don't want to overreact in the first three days of camp, but you'd way rather have Bosa look excellent in the first three days and then look terrible or look lost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> because that's chances, chances are a, a rookie is going to trend uh, upward g- generally. And if he's starting at a point that most rookies are at after three or four weeks, if he's starting there, that bodes really well uh, for where he's going to be over the next uh, two, three, four weeks leading into week one in Tampa Bay. And I think that's
1: a complete best case scenario for San Francisco. Yeah, no question. One last thought before we hit our break is Solomon Thomas looks pretty good. And and I oh, think really? a lot of it is mental for him. I think he looks reinvigorated. He looks really energized and he's talked about it. Uh, there were p- points last year where he just like was, you know, obviously when you lose your sister to suicide, your little sister, yeah, that's unimaginable de- devastation. So it's completely understandable for Thomas to check out mentally, particularly from football. And he was saying, you know, I said this before, so I don't want to rehash it too much, but he was saying he just didn't have the same vigor for life because of the depression he was dealing with. And he's talked a lot about mental health and you can read all about that. I think we've all written about that at length, but he's back to loving football again. And I think that's very clear. And he's playing with an edge that we haven't seen the first two years of his career. And so I, I sort of think, you know, talking about this being a a more complete version of the Niners defensive line, just because you have depth now, Uh, the fact that they don't have to rely on Solomon Thomas as like one of their two or three best pass rushers, I think is good for Thomas because you can pick your spots with him. You could find the best matchup for him because you don't need him to to carry a big load. And I think that's going to be the best way to maximize his skill set. And if Solomon Thomas is your fifth pass rusher, or even your six pass rusher, wherever, I mean, and and you get something like five or six sacks, which I think is, is you know, and and a good pressure rate, which I think is totally possible. Just, I mean, obviously he's a number three pick in the draft. He should be able to get five or six sacks. It's not saying a lot, but considering he only had one last year and it wasn't even a real sack, you get five or six from him and he's your fifth or sixth pass rusher. I think that means your defensive line is playing really well. And I think That could mean a lot of good things for the 49ers just in terms of takeaways, sacks and, and, you know, obviously forcing punts and things like that. Just um, Thomas playing well could be really important for them because when you have somebody at the back end of the depth chart, I think it can elevate everybody else and it could allow you to to be more specific in the way you deploy all of those guys, given that they have varying skill sets and can create different matchup issues throughout a game.
2: Are we punting on the idea of Solomon Thomas ever affecting games like a number three pick typically should? And is his ceiling now that kind of depth rotational piece? We talk a lot about the Eagles and how deep their defensive line was when they won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Is he that fifth or sixth guy who in the fourth quarter is
1: wrecking games because he's played 20 snaps through the first three quarters it's tough to say because like it 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 sort of depends on what your expectations are for number three pick like do you think that he's going to be a guy who's going to make 20 million a year on his next contract and be a defensive player of the year candidate i don't obviously that doesn't mean he's he i don't think he could be a good player or a useful player so i mean i mean it's it's really tough to say like a total whiff on a, on a first round pick is somebody who doesn't even stick around for a second contract. I think Thomas has the talent to stick around on that second contract, and particularly in the form he's in right now. And I think he could be a very useful player. So, you know, I, I know Nick Wagner of ESPN, a, a buddy of mine who covers the team, has made the comparison to Chris Long. And, and Chris Long has never really been somebody who... You build a pass rush around, but he's always been Mm -hmm. a useful player, somebody you could count on for seven or eight sacks a year. Maybe not somebody who's going to light the world on fire, but somebody who could be in the league for a long time, add some versatility, certainly be a culture fit anywhere he went and and just have a good NFL career, not an incredible NFL career. But, you know, I think is is if Thomas turns into somebody like Chris Long, who was also drafted really high, is that? Is that a total loss or is he a bust? I, I mean, I think some people might think so, but I, I would think that that's, yeah, that would be good for Solomon Thomas to have a Chris Long-like career. So, in that mold, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Like in that mold, like Chris Long is what you're generally your third or fourth best pass rusher, ideally in an ideal world. Like, so, no matter where it is on the on the defensive line, so I think wagner made a good point in saying that and he actually said this when thomas got drafted but i do think that if thomas turned into a chris long type player i think that would be a win for the 49ers i I completely agree especially with how he looked last year all right let's take a quick break to talk about harry's razors kyle blue wire is teaming up with harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably good and our podcasters can shave uh, their heads comfortably
2: yeah, the, Harry's doesn't recommend it, but I do it anyways, and it's great. I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it.
1: Well, you should go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five, I did. a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, can I give you uh a... Actually, let's start with Richard Sherman before I get to my hot take. Richard Sherman looks good. good Richard Sherman looks good. Does that mean Richard Sherman is going to be the all pro cornerback, best cornerback in the league, Richard Sherman? I don't think so. Does that mean Richard Sherman could be better than last year? I do think so because he's talked about it and other guys have talked about it, particularly Marquise Goodwin. That Sherman looks a lot better this year because he's had a full off season and because he had the sutures removed from his, from his Achilles and he, that he sort of likened to, to driving around with a nail in your tire, which I thought was an interesting comparison. Hmm. Um, but he looks healthier. He looks more explosive to, to the point where he can break on passes a little bit better than he did last year, you know, he's a really smart player, probably one of the smartest cornerbacks in all of football, maybe even football history. I mean, I think Richard Sherman looks looks really is is playing really well. And if he can stay healthy, uh, that's obviously a boon for the 49ers. But at 31 cornerback isn't necessarily the position that ages the best in the NFL. So it's going to be a yeah. challenge for him to to stay at that level for all 16 games but i think the early returns are are positive.
2: Yeah, i don't want to overreact too much from a training camp video, but the there was that one that went around of him last year getting dusted by Marquise Goodwin. Shout out to Rob. Route. And shout out Rob Lauder. love rob. FW for life. Um <laughs> uh but there was that video that went around that was like man, Sherman's lost it because he just couldn't keep up with Marquise Goodwin. Then this year there was a video of him guarding Goodwin on a slant and he, he dominated the the play and was moving in a way that you just could tell he was not capable of moving last year. And I think there were probably still some mental hurdles to get over as well in terms of moving, how he wanted to move and moving confidently. And he looks from the little bit I've seen in camp and from what you're saying, it looks like he's moving, um, much more confidently than than he was a year ago and much more explosively.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Sherman looks good. Witherspoon's looked good. Jason Verrett is still easing back into things. But so far, there haven't been any setbacks with Verrett, which I think is the most important thing. And you think about his upside. um, He said we talked to him today, said he feels good. He said he's he's obviously not all the way back yet but he's not really feeling any residual effects from his torn Achilles. So that could be an interesting development to watch as camp goes along is where Jason Verrett is getting his reps right now. It's been with the second team. Akela Witherspoon has been pretty firmly entrenched with the starters. So that could change as time goes on. But here's here's my hot take for the 49ers defense.
2: Oh, drop it on me.
1: And I think it's going to catch some steam as, as we go on through here because I know I'm not the only one who thinks this. Fifth-round pick, Dre Greenlaw, the rookie from Arkansas, is going to be a starter, and I think he's going to play a lot. That's my Ooh. my hot take, my hot prediction. Yeah. He, during OTAs in June, he opened practice by making a tackle for loss against Tevin Coleman. The very first snap of training camp, full-team drills on Saturday, he plugged a gap really well, made a tackle for loss against Tevin Coleman today with the pads on for the first time the very first snap drake greenlaw makes a tackle for loss on tevin coleman i'm noticing a pattern which is to say that this is a rookie a fifth round pick who not only is getting first team reps which is a sign that the coaching staff already has a significant amount of trust in him but the fact that he's making plays at this point extremely well for him and he's a guy who started all four of his years in the sec at arkansas his Mm -hmm. background story is is incredible i may or may not have a have a dre greenlaw post up at with the sacramento Bee uh by the time you listen to this so go check that out i got to talk to him today super super interesting guy shameless plug
2: and if it's not there keep refreshing until yes
1: do that uh or just click on on all the ads you can i would love that (laughs) <laughs> so yeah I mean so so I, I think one of the, the takeaways with with talking to Greenlawn and other people they talk about him the same way guys were talking about Fred Warner last year and you heard defensive coordinator Robert Sala last year say you know Fred Warner had one of the best pre-draft visits of you know I've ever been a part of and Fred yeah. Warner was super good on the whiteboard and is incredible in the film room and all of that i think we're going to start hearing the same things about drake greenlaw because i think it's the preparation and the fact that he can rattle things off in the meeting rooms and and he can look at a, the formation of the offense and and say what plays the team isn't going to run based on the formation he already knows the all the tendencies that wow. that kyle shanahan's offense has had throughout otas and training camp and, and I just think that says a lot because I think what, what doesn't get talked about enough in the NFL, and it's probably, I mean, this might be a cliche, so I could be wrong about that. But like preparation is really important and, and knowing tendencies and being able to identify plays before they happen and being able to be in the right spot. I mean, that is a huge part of it. And we've seen Dre Greenlaw. We've seen the results of that play out on the practice field and he's just making plays and it's not just like the first play of practice he's doing it consistently now the caveat is obviously he's getting reps because Quan Alexander is getting ease back in and Alexander has looked pretty good too particularly being that it's he's only 10 months removed from his ACL injury but I think Greenlaw is going to be the starting Sam linebacker because he's obviously cheaper than Malcolm Smith he's obviously younger than Malcolm Smith He's playing better than Malcolm Smith is right now, although Malcolm Smith had a had a nice hit today on a running play. I just think all the signs are pointing to Drake Greenlaw being a key player on this defense this year. Whether that's the starting Sam, I guess that remains to be seen. I think he's going to start because I think it would make more sense to have him on the squad than Malcolm Smith, uh, just based on the financial aspects of it. But yeah, it's my take. Drake Greenlaw starter.
2: And that would be a huge win for John Lynch, too, because he badly needs a draft class to really come through and produce some starters right away, some impact starters right away. And if Bose is going to come in and be as good as advertised and be a defensive rookie of the year candidate, and if Debo Samuel is going to come in and catch 50 or 60 passes and a few touchdowns right away and kind of be in that offensive rookie of the year conversation, uh, then you get Mitch Wisnowski, the punter stepping in right away and, and kicking in an all pro level and then you get a starter in Dre Greenlaw. That's four impact players in the first in the first five rounds of the draft. And that's that's a home run type of draft, which the 49ers really, really need after 2017. Didn't go particularly well. And um you know the jury's still out on on the 2018 class. But a home run draft for John Lynch in, in 2019 probably probably uh goes a long way toward uh dispelling some of the some of the concerns people may have about about his ability to to put together a draft.
1: Just, class. just going through the last three draft classes, maybe I mean Adrian Colbert is really the only late round pick uh the defensive player that John Lynch has drafted that's started or played really meaningful mm-hmm. snaps consistently anyway. I mean you have you have Colbert, Peter Peter Talmoy Pen who obviously isn't around anymore. DJ Jones is is your second nose tackle right now. Who's fine at that position. And then, you know, you get DJ Reed, Marcel Harris, Julian Taylor, young guys who have played, but haven't really established themselves as starters. Point is, Mm -hmm. if you get a starting caliber, a high level starting caliber linebacker in the fifth round, that's something the 49ers haven't really had. They've had good, they've had a, mm-hmm. a, a pretty good hit rate on offense in terms of these last three draft classes in late like day 3 guys. They haven't done that on on the defensive side and they could really use it. So Dr- Trey Greenlaw has been a uh, a very pleasant surprise for them. Maybe maybe uh, a surprise for us, probably not a su- <clears throat> surprise for the coaching staff given the fact that they're giving him all those first team reps. I guess we should talk about the quarterback situation behind Jimmy Garoppolo. I'll be honest. Like, I mean, first of all, Jimmy Garoppolo is getting the the vast majority of snaps. So there, there really haven't been many for Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard. That being said, neither of those guys have really distinguished themselves during practice. And maybe that's difficult because they aren't really able to get in a rhythm. They only get two or three snaps at a time. Obviously the, With Jimmy Garoppolo probably being super limited in the preseason, Kyle Shanahan wants to get him as many reps as possible during training camp. And obviously, Bethard and Mullins are going to be the ones on the wrong side of that. Put it this way, through three practices, we have no clarity on what the 49ers are going to do, whether they're going to keep two guys, whether they're going to keep all three, uh, which guy is, is winning that competition. There are instances where Bethard makes really nice plays, there are instances where Mullins makes nice plays, but then there are also instances where they both make bad throws. It's just, it's tough to say. No one's distinguishing themselves, but I did ask Kyle Shanahan about it today. Like at what point is he thinking about the entire roster, constructing the roster and all the numbers at every position and how the quarterback situation fits into that. And, and he said, it's something he thinks about all the time. So it's clearly on his head, on his mind. And, and he's already sort of going through that. He hasn't said one way or the other which way he's leaning. Uh, he says they're on equal playing field and it's and it could be that he doesn't really know. I mean it it, like I said, it, it's been very clear that nobody is really distinguishing themselves between those two guys. So that's just gonna be something we have to watch and, and maybe that that is gonna be something that is sort of determined by preseason games. I, I know me personally. I don't think there's much to gain in preseason games. I think generally, the players who are going to make your team don't play uh which is why it drives me insane when people overreact to fourth quarters and preseason games <laughs> when you have right like, practice squad players and insurance salesmen like playing well against each other and then people freak out about it like they need to be the starting you know receiver or halfback whatever but i do think it, this is going to be a scenario where the preseason could go a long way for Bethard and Mullins in how Kyle Shanahan views this battle to back up Garoppolo and the decision to keep two or three quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, I I think so. It's it's so often said, you know, those battles are won and lost in in camp. Well, if neither guy is distinguishing themselves in practice, it's going to have to come down to the games and what they're putting on film against opposing defenses. And if they're pretty even there, it may go back to what the tape showed last year and what, what Mullins was able to do at the end of the year. So that's been a fascinating battle really since last year and it's going to continue to be fascinating ultimately though uh, the best scenario for the 49ers is one where it doesn't matter who their backup quarterback is because Jimmy
1: Garoppolo is playing 16 games totally agree I think that's that's a good place to to end I do want to say I was expecting a ton of negative blowback from the fanny pack and it I've gotten a lot more compliments on the fanny pack than I ever would have expected really yeah, like co- like like real compliments or like condescending, like <laughs> nice fanny pack. Well, there have been a couple of those, but I don't really value the opinion of the people who have given me that response. But a lot of people are just like <laughs> are like, wow, that's that's actually like kind of smart because you know, I have like tons of extra pens and extra notebooks in my. It's because of the Starburst huh? time. Yeah, them. that's true. It, I I have oh, given, a wa- given out a few Starbursts. But, you know, like when when you wear glasses and you have prescription sunglasses, it's just really a pain. And uh, and I'm just done with the cargo shorts. So the fanny packs the way to go. Um, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by the reaction it's gotten. And uh, and people are saying fanny packs are, are in these days. So I'm happy to be a part of that trend. I'm really proud of you. Yeah. Uh, so if you go to camp and you see a fanny pack, uh, throw something at me, um, heckle me. I'm fine with it. It is all good, and that's today's episode of Fanny Pack Chronicles. <laughs> See you guys next time. <laughs> I'm sunburnt. That mean that means we're at, we're we're right in the middle of training camp, so it's fun. This is my like personally my favorite time of year because it's like we actually get to watch football. It's not real football, but the real football we're stuck up in like 200 feet away in a press box, like behind glass, and we don't really get to experience it. At least here we can we can sort of feel it. Uh, being on the sidelines for all that so it's a lot of fun so um i hope you guys are enjoying all of our training camp coverage follow us on twitter follow niners wire of the usa today sports media group follow me and the and the work on the sacramento beef Follow the other beat writers it's it's a fun time of year because there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff to write about and we will have another podcast later this week discussing some other training camp takeaways as they happen and uh, we will talk to you then